Hello and welcome back to the Endurance Limits podcast. This episode is again brought to you from Mexico, where the team are currently staying. The team will be moving up to the US to collect the boat in the next few days, where we will finalise the preparation stage. From there, we will be in a position to push off from Monterey and spend the next 38 days at sea. This podcast hears us talk as a team to Aaron Warby. Aaron has been a part of the Endurance Limits team since the very beginning, and I'm sure by the end of this episode, you'll agree that Aaron's journey through the past 12 years is truly remarkable and amazingly humbling. I know for myself and Simon, hearing Aaron's story was incredibly insightful and engaging. Now, before we begin with a deep dive conversation with Aaron, we have to give a shout out to Pasha Hawaii. Pasha Hawaii have been amazing to work with and have taken care of towing the trailer across the Pacific to Hawaii, as well as handling the logistics and transportation back from Hawaii to California. This is a massive part of the project for us and working with Pasha Hawaii has been a pleasure and we are very grateful for their assistance. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into the podcast with Aaron. Right. We're going to go. We're going. Who's ready? <clears throat> Raise Come your on. hand if you're Let's ready. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it you now. can do like a off the cuff intro. Come on. Do a off the cuff intro. It's just. It's just. It's. <laughs> oh, that's all I want. I want something like. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Endurance Limits podcast. This evening, the whole team sat round a table in Cancun, Mexico for the second night in a row as we conclude, I don't think we're going to conclude, we've still got Darren to go, he's very opposed the idea, but we are getting to know each of the team, Simon and myself have completed ours, and this evening we talk to the man, the myth, the mystery that is Aaron Warby. Thanks Josh, appreciate that. You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The man, the myth and the mystery, I couldn't have put it better myself. I'm going to open this, Aaron, by explaining to everyone that you're a very private person. Yes, I am, yeah. And that you're kind of very selective about who you're you're sort of comfortable to spend time with and talk with and... Yeah, I'm I'm selective. I don't think I've got a good judge of character based on (laughs) the people around me, but I am selective. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so basically, let's let's like let's deal with that now. Like you really, you, you don't particularly want to do this for starters, do you? This is like your idea of hell, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm not really a, a social media person, despite the fact I've done so much stuff over the years involving charities and you know jungle runs and bits and pieces. It's been more out of necessity than, you know, choice, um, because we're trying to achieve, um, you know, these goals for charity and raise money. So I've had to put myself out there, put myself in a position where I'm not particularly comfortable because people need to know the story and what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. So whilst I realise it's, it's very important, it's, yeah, it's definitely out of my comfort zone and not something I particularly enjoy doing, but some people might. Okay, so, People need to know the story, and we've been—I say running endurance limits, but you know, endurance limits have existed for best part of twelve years now. Yeah, where we've done lots of different stuff for charity, and there's always been this kind of like 
easy way of like the narrative being about me and Hadley because Hadley was what kicked it all off and that's where it started and you have kind of embraced the shadow that you're able to just wander along in and do all of the stuff that you've done without kind of throwing yourself out there in any way. So it's kind of been good for you in that way, that, that's fair? Yeah, yeah. But people have got to have some idea of who you are and how you feel about everything and why you got involved. And like you say, I know, I know it's like a real kind of pain, pain in the arse for you, basically. I'll just put too fine a point on it. But people are genuinely interested, not really interested in like that bit anymore. And it's, people want to know. So, like, I, 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 I'm tempted to kind of ask you a load of questions because I know you quite well and kind of screw answers out of you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but in some ways, I think it's better just to go, let's, let's just talk about the endurance limits journey and see what kind of falls out. Let's talk about Talk about Hadley. Talk about right. So let's, everyone's fucking heard a million times all of the crap about like the stuff that I've had to say about it, but no one's ever heard um, an outs like an outsider's massively insider's view, obviously. But you know, from outside of me and Hadley and maybe my family, the view of what took place and how it unfolded and how endurance limits started and we've got this narrative that people like to hear but that's that like let's hear your version of it um i remember when darren first um rang me up and told me about uh hadley and you know it, it was a bit of a sucker punch really i didn't really believe it it was like no it'd be fine mate you know there's nothing to worry about i'm sure it'll get resolved and you sort you're quite dismissive and uh you don't really realise how quickly things will change. And uh, Darren um, asked me to come round, and I think it was like it was like six o'clock in the morning. And I came round to your house about one, two o'clock in the morning, and we sat there. And you told me about Hadley, and we just, I just listened to you really. Um, that's what what friends should do: just listen to you when they've got problems. So um, yeah, um, obviously everyone knows the story of Hadley and what happened over tell, the next mate, few tell years. It from your side. From my side? Yeah, tell it from your side. Yeah. So from the beginning, because like, like I say, everyone's sick of hearing mm. the, the, you know, the story from my no one, side. No one's sick of hearing it. No, but, but like, everyone's heard that story. Yeah. So like, from your side, from like, the first time that I phone you up and go, I'm having a bit of stinker. Things on, I'm not having the best day. Um. <laughs> so let's go from the first time that I phone you and go, mate, I'm in Lister, Hadley's had a seizure. From there, just... <laughs> well, mate, I, I, I don't know what to say. It was, it was such an emotional time and uh, seeing the impact on you, you know, it was difficult to deal with. I think, for me, we need to do something positive about it and, that, and I know that's what makes you tick a little bit is, is trying to do something about a problem and you're, you know, we're problem solvers, that's what we do in our jobs, you know, and uh, we, we went out and uh, 
we decided to create endurance limits. Um, yeah, we came up with that idea, and uh, I think we I think we sat there one night and we decided that we wanted to raise money for Great Ormond Street because of what we were doing for Hadley, and it was difficult because everyone does a marathon or you know a 10k run or a swim and does something for charity, but we wanted to achieve something a bit different and uh, take it to the next level. And uh, I think you just Googled like hardest foot race in the world and uh, Brazilian Jungle Marathon sort of popped up on Google. I was like, oh, let's have a look at that. And I was like, okay. So we uh, clicked on that and had a look at it and uh, it was a 250-kilometer foot race through the jungle in, in Brazil. Bear in mind, at this point, I, I couldn't even run a mile on a treadmill without having a heart attack. Um, not a lot of change then. No, not a lot of change. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, uh, we decided to um, sign up for the Jogger Marathon. And the next morning we woke up and we had a conversation and said, did we seriously just do that? And I was like, I think we did. And uh, yeah, we went off and uh, we did our first race in 2009. Um, yeah, that was uh, a story in itself. Right. We're going to do this. We're going to do this properly. I've decided, right, fuck it. We'll, we'll, but we're going to start with the bit that you've just dodged, <laughs> right? So I appreciate what you've done and why you've done it, but let's do this properly. The first time I phone you from the hospital and I say to you, mate, I'm at least I'm having a nightmare. Hadley's really seriously ill. Something's gone like wrong. I don't know what it is. He's having a seizure. They can't stop it. You're on the other end of the phone, you're listening to me. I'm a bit emotional. I've been known to be emotional at the best of times. What's going through your head? How do you feel about it all? Uh, it's just a numbness, really. I didn't, I didn't really believe it, mate, if I'm honest. I just, I thought Darren's just having a stinky, he's getting stressed out and he's, he's fine, he's in hospital, he's gonna be all right and this will be all right in a few days time. Uh, so that was my initial, you know, reaction to finding that news out. I think most people try to look on the positive side of a situation, don't they? You so know? fast forward five days from that when I'm now phoning you and going, okay, every day he's got worse. Every day he's gone from 10 seizures to 30 seizures to 60 seizures. He's having 100 seizures a day. The day that I sort of said to the doctor, look, do basically, you know, do you know what's wrong with him? And the doctor says to me, he gets a bit defensive and says, outside of Great Ormond Street, probably no one does. And I say, well, what is he doing here then? And he says, okay, we need to speak to him. And he gets transferred. I, I can't even imagine how I relayed all of that to you. And, and I remember putting Hadley in the back of the ambulance and Karen getting in the ambulance with him and shutting the door and then getting in my car and phoning you from the car and saying, mate, they haven't got a clue. These guys, they, they, they genuinely haven't got a clue. And just for the, for, the, for the purpose of the podcast, this is not a dig at the doctors because no one could possibly have a clue. You know, they were doing the very best that they could possibly do in difficult circumstances. But when I'm phoning you, I'm like, you know, they're stumped. It's all going like... It, He's not getting better, it's all going wrong. He's going to Great Ormond Street. Bearing in mind this is pre-Kane. 
which I'm sure we'll get around to at some point. Where are you then? Because, like, I'm not, I'm not even entirely sure what end of that phone I'd rather be on. Do you know what I mean? It's almost worse sometimes being on the other end of that phone than it is being on my end. Yeah, it's um, a difficult place to be when you see a, see a friend go through that and uh, you just want to help. And I remember ringing up a friend of mine, uh, Jasmine her name is, she's a neurosurgeon. I immediately got on the phone to her and sort of said, look, you know, this is a score, uh, this is what's happening to my best mate's son. Uh, what do you think? And she was like, you know, he needs to go to Greyhound Street and et cetera, et cetera. And Darren uh, um, sort of told me that uh, Hallie was getting looked after by Helen Cross. And uh, I've known Jasmine for a really long time, um, very many years, and I've respected her and uh, how well, you know, how clever that woman was. And uh, she said she's, he's in the best place he can be and he's getting the best help he can get. There's nowhere better in the world for him to be. And I sort of, I said to Dan, because Dan was looking for options off the table, you know, anywhere he could to sort of, get a solution to fix Hadley and uh, yeah I was sort of I, I don't know I just I didn't I didn't know what to do mate I, I, I generally didn't know what to do or say to you it was a really difficult time I, I didn't feel like I had the words or the vocabulary to make you feel better about you know where you, what you was going through and it was, it was just heartbreaking really and uh, anything I could do was pour you a drink and be there for you and listen to you mate really. But, so the, the Helen Cross thing it was the result of a phone call, phone call where you said Bizarrely, as this, and it's always this way, isn't it? Like, it just so happens that I have a friend that's a neurosurgeon that specialises in developing drugs for intractable epilepsy. I mean, like, what are the chances yeah. of that? And he's like, and I'm saying to him, like, I've had conversations with friends and family and stuff, and I'm saying, right, I know how much my house is worth, I know what equity I've got. So I phone him and say to him, can you ask Jasmine? If money's no object, where is the best place in the world? Who is the one person that we need to put Hadley in front of? And she says, Helen Cross, yeah. who is the professor of neurology at Great Ormond Street that just so happened to be looking after him at that point. <clears throat> oh, so she was already working with Hadley. So through a, f a massive load of sort of freak of coincidences, we had gone into hospital and Helen Cross was in charge of the ward that he was in. Yeah. So, like, the, when, when I throw it to Aaron and he comes back to me with his name, like, mate, if you've got unlimited money, Helen Cross is the woman that you want trying to solve this problem. And I'm like, she's, she's sat three feet away from me. <laughs> mate, that's insane. Yeah, it's, honestly, mate, it was, a, it was a weird time. But, like, just, the, just so you know, the ability for me to be able to ask that question at that point was amazing, you know, because I've, I'm, I'm blind and I think largely because of what we do and the way we've lived and stuff, we're not, we don't, we're not comfortable being blind. We're always searching for the information and the intelligence, you know, and... There's always a solution to a problem. That's, yeah. that's the way we sort of, you know, view life somehow. Yeah, yeah. and being able even just to pick the phone up to you and get that connection with her was massive for me at that time. Yeah. So we have that conversation, she goes, like, you're in the best place. Um, and then Had goes downhill from there. He's in Great Ormond Street, he's in the best place. He's got the best neurologist in the world looking after him. And he's getting worse. 
Like literally every day is just getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm speaking to you. I'm giving you all of this. <laughs> look at that, look, look at all this. What am I going to do with that? Oh, I'm, I'm, there you go. <laughs> I'll give it to you. Mate, well, like, how do you deal with that? I feel terrible about it now, genuinely. No, there's nothing to feel terrible about, mate. You know, that's, when the chips are down, you rely on your friends. Um, I wish I could have done more over the years to you know, make, make Hadley better in some way, but also it has to be on my powers. Uh, I think when, when you have a friend and, you know, or, or someone you care about tell you something like that, it's hard not to take on that, that emotion yourself and, you know, it affects your life because you care. And it did affect, did affect me and I, I did take it home and, you know, I did get upset in front of my family and my friends and, like, it, it bothered me as much as, you know, not as much as it bothered Darren, obviously, but, you know, you know, I see him going through that and I felt his pain. So I, I, I suffered as, you know, as well with him and I, that, that, that journey of suffering, um, I've been on, on with you since, I think, to a certain degree. You yeah, know? no, not to a certain degree, mate, I'd say, you know, definitely. Um, so, we're suffering. Suffering. We're suffering a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we're suffering. Had's in hospital, he's in Great Ormond Street. I'm phoning you up and, you know, we're speaking in between me, commuting backwards and forwards. And eventually they kind of tell me, right, He's not coming out. He's really unlikely to make the end of the month. And I have what can best be described as just a day that he's blank. And I, obviously I told you at some point, I can't remember whether it be, you know, on a train on the way home or whatever, but I say to you, right, they're saying he ain't making the end of the month. We're already struggling and you're already suffering like vicariously through me. And like a lot of people listening to this won't understand that, you know, you don't, you don't even have to be present for trauma sometimes, you know, for, for it to kind of play out in your life. Mm. Um, you can get it second and third hand and it can, you know, it can really genuinely affect loads of stuff. And I've, I've chucked that on you now. I've already given you like loads of, loads of grief and sadness and all the rest of it. And I've now gone, looks like he's not getting out of hospital. Looks like he won't make the end of the month. Um, we're like, I'm, I'm just genuinely curious because we've never had this conversation, and it seems weird to be having it now. But like, from your side, wh where are you even going with that? Because like, if someone does that to me, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I've got no idea where I'm taking that. You just got to be there to pick up the pieces best you can, and that's all you can do, you know. If that, for me, it was, is there anything small I can do to make Darren's life a little bit easier during, you know, an impossible situation, whether it's a case of buying him a beer or, you know, sorting, doing him a favour or, do, or talking to him or turning up at his house at three o'clock in the morning, or anything I could think about was how, how can I help and just, you know, take, take a little bit of that pain away from Darren. And that's, that's what goes, goes through, went through my head at the time. Um, I, I didn't have, I didn't have, sometimes I didn't have any answers for you, mate, and I just had to listen to you. And maybe that, that was enough just to sort of get you through some very dark days, you know, 
uh, in your life and just, just listen to someone, you know, that, and to hit, if you've got a problem and you talk to someone else about it and they listen and, and they and, you know, you see that empathy in someone, it, it helps and it just relieves that pressure. I think that there's, there's always been something about having someone to listen to you when you're talking and you're going through a bad time. You think so much more than what you would say. And when you can vocalise what you're thinking, it can just help so much. It's like, like to kind of just almost verbal diarrhoea and, and, and just say everything and to vocalise it and to listen to it through your own voice, to have someone else just be there so that you don't feel like you're talking to yourself. Just, just sound, out, such a sound out the, the, the issues and the problems. Massively. Know. It does make a big difference. So let's fast forward then, right? Yeah. So we've gone through the horrible bit. Uh, Hadley survives and he comes out of hospital and in typical kind of Clawson style, I sit and say to the doctor, right, I'm going to raise the amount of money it's cost you to look after him without having the vaguest idea <laughs> of how much that might be. <laughs> like my credit card, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, right, I've made a pledge now. Yeah. I'm going to raise whatever it costs to look after him. Brilliant. And then they go, we better find out how much that is. <laughs> Someone says, probably about a quarter of a million quid. So me and you sit down the Fox and we have this famous couple of beers where we go, right, I've, I've said, okay, I've, I've, I've made this promise now, so, like, come what may, because I'm a bit touchy about promises and not breaking them, um, I'm going to raise this money. And you go, like, <laughs> in fact, you're sitting there and I'm saying to you, right, <clears throat> I'm going to raise a quarter of a million quid for Great Ormond Street. And, and we earn about seven quid between us. <laughs> And we know about six people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? Like, other than the man's a fucking idiot. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking at that point? I, I think it's a great idea. I love it. I mean, I, I, for me, it was like, this is brilliant. This is, this is something we can take on that's going to distract Darren from the, you know, his, his pain and negativity. We're going to concentrate on something. And then... I've always loved the challenge. Growing up my whole life, I'd, you know, if, if you say to me, you can't do that, and I'm like, I fucking can do that. And, you know, I'll, I'll go out and try to do it. I might, I might fail, but I will give it a good, goddamn good go. And uh, when Darren said about, you know, right, you know, raising this money, I was like, mate, it's a lot of money. It's like a lot, a lot of money, you know. Um, <laughs> this is not, you know, this is not changing the back of our car, you know. This is, uh, we're going to have to do something really seriously epic to, bring this money in and say proper risky um, and then yeah Google get the, get the phone out and uh, that's when we found the jungle marathon yeah so we're sitting in, we're sitting in a sorry mate using your phone no, just, and, and maybe I'm jumping ahead so we can part the question if you need to be but obviously doing that the first time obviously emotions are high great big target impossible challenge brilliant all behind it loads of energy but you guys have done this Several times now, and this is what the fourth, fifth thing you've done, whatever. Yeah, sixth, yeah, something like that. Fifth or sixth, yeah. Fifth or sixth, yeah. So most people start to lose the kind of their motivation after like the second or third time of doing stuff. So what is it that keeps wanting you to do it again and again? 
and putting yourself into a position Sheer of... Sheer stupidity, Simon. It's <laughs> what I was driving at. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the fact that there's a beer waiting at the other end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a mixture of things. Um, obviously, doing sounds corny, but doing good for others is a reward in itself, and it's a nice feeling to, you know, say here's a check for, you know, X amount of money, and you know it's going to a good cause. Uh, you know, it, it make, makes you feel good as a person that you've helped somebody else. Um, but there's, there's, there's also one thing I've learned over the years from, from the events and the way they've gone, good or bad, uh, it, it's the rawness of the, of the event and the appeal of it. And when you go out to places like Brazil and Peru and you run through the jungle for you know, days at a time and you're suffering and you, you see the beauty around you and you, know, you come across a waterfall, and, you know, in the middle of the jungle, and that that sort of stuff is, is amazing. And uh, I've you know I've always always enjoyed it, and it, it sent me back to try it again and see a different part of the world and meet amazing people who are, who are out there raising money for charities and different bits and pieces. And when you when you bump into people and they're like, "Hi, I'm from Australia and I do this and I'm out here doing this," and you're like, "Wow, it's it's, it's, it's a really it's a really special experience." And uh, yeah. Uh, it's something I've enjoyed over the years, and it's defined me as a person. So the last sort of sort of 12 years of my life, where I've been doing these events and uh, doing some, you know, doing some good for others along the way, and enjoying myself at the same time. You know, I've enjoyed myself and suffered, and uh, yeah. So that's why we 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 will do an event, we will raise some money um, for a good cause, and then we'll sit down and go, yeah, that was fantastic. We you know, really enjoyed that. You know, what, what can we do next? You know, who can we help next? And how can how can we enjoy ourselves on the way? Right, this is, this is, I'm going to jump in now because this is something that we are very private about generally yeah. and we don't talk about outside of like a very tight little circle of friends is um, the, the kind of the motivation to do good in the world and the motivation to like all the time, every time we've ever gone into something like when we were trying to raise the money for Great Ormond Street, Hadley was already out, right? So like, we're, we're getting nothing out of it. It's not helping my son, like, it's helping some other poor little sod that's gonna go in after him. And the kind of, the, I, I think, and I might be wrong, but like the people that do know you or that scratch the surface of knowing you have like a perception of kind of, you're a bit quiet. You're a bit sullen at times. People that don't know you think that you're having it. They, they, they kind of see you from the outside and go, he's quite a big guy. You know, he's, 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 he's got quite a stern face as he walks past me in a corridor. Sorry? I was born with this face, you blame my mother. No, <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing that again. <laughs> um, so how like... old's your mum? <laughs> <laughs> Josh is like, finally, <laughs> finally. I've been waiting 24 hours for this. Always thinking about you, Lisa. Anyway, let's, um, let's move on. <laughs> um, like, so much of the bit that I've seen has been about where we have discussions in private where you go, we've just got to do something good. We've just got to help these kids or we've just got to, do you know what I mean? Like that, 
very rarely kind of leaches out into the rest of the world and they like no one else sees that no one else sees those conversations um, and I, I mean I don't know the perception that everyone else has got of us I think I'd be sort of mildly amused to hear it sometimes but like as it, from the inside there's always been a real big really deep conversation about like whilst we want to go and have some adventures and kind of all the rest of it it's always about trying to maximise what we can do for disabled kids or kids with epilepsy or kids that are going into Great Ormond Street or, you know, and, and like even, even down to the meetings that we had in Great Ormond Street where they were saying to us, well, you know, the, the money that you raise, where do you want it spending? And your answer was, before I could even open my mouth, which is unusual for someone to beat me to it, was, that's not our business. Like, your business is looking after kids. Our business is getting you some money to do whatever it is you do. Uh, it's, it's always, for me, about children. And that's my, my drive when it comes to fundraising. Um, I, will, I will come on to another story shortly regarding, regarding my motivations and why I care so much about children's charities. Um, but yeah, well, I, I remember Great Ormond Street and as I said, Dan, like, you know, where, where's the money going? I, I don't, I don't want the money to go on toilet roll, for example. You know, I want, I want it to be something substantial that's going to benefit children, something tangible, like a sensory room at Great Ormond Street, and I think we worked towards that, didn't what we? What's the word you said? Give it to the doctors. Yeah. Give it to the doctors. Yeah. I don't care what I do, yeah. but give it to the doctors. Yeah. Just um, do, you know, make, make it worthwhile what, what we're doing. You know, make, make sure the money goes to the right, the, the, the right people for the right things. Um, and yeah, we've, we've always been passionate about sitting down and going, look, you know, where's this money actually going to go? And I'll, we've had some quite, you know, I, I can't think of the word, but uh, some quite uh, strong conversations about, about it, haven't we, over the years? Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially what, what I was trying to say was, you know, we don't care, or rather you always said you don't care where it goes, as long as basically it's the doctors that choose. Like, it doesn't go, like you say, it doesn't go on toilet rolls, it doesn't go blah, 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 but I'm not going to prescribe where the doctors, because that's their job. Yeah. This is, these guys are professionals, this is what they do. Yeah. Just make sure that they have, they, they know that they can use it however they want, but it's got to go to them. Yeah. So, that kind of covers that kind of side of it. So the first one we go on is Brazil 2009. Oh my God. Jungle Marathon. <laughs> Hardest race in the world, arguably. Everyone that listens to this will be going, yeah, but yeah, but the Barclay Marathons, yeah, but the like MDS or whatever it might be, but one like a difficult race. Let's just leave it there. We turn up. We have trained ourselves to death. Like we've gone from mildly lardy to horrifically fit. We turn up and. It's 42 degrees, we're on the edge of the jungle, and in the briefing for all of the competitors and all of the staff around it, someone collapses and has a massive seizure because of the heat. And we're there raising money because of Hadley having seizures. Where's your brain then? Yeah, um, <laughs> up my arse. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, what are we doing here, you know, and uh, 
we've gone, we've gone through so much uh, trials and tribulations to get to that start line, and uh, suddenly uh, it brings it all very home very quickly. You know, some, someone's having a seizure in front of me, and uh, yeah, I can see the, the uh, sort of impact that has on Darren immediately, you know. Um, and to sort of put, puts it in perspective, actually, a little bit for me. I was like, yeah, actually, no, this is why we're here, you know. This is, we're, we're actually trying to do some good. And it actually gave me some motivation to like, push on in a strange way. I was like, you know, we need, we need, we need, to, we need to do this. We need to raise that money. Because giving you a tap on the shoulder. Yeah. Just reminding me, really, why we were there. Yeah. So, the 2009 race, like, Almost everyone listening to this is going to have no idea whatsoever about anyone that was there, what took place, um, and I don't even know. Like, like I don't even know where to start. So, let's you <laughs> like give me, give me give me your version of 2009, and for, for for the love of God, please throw the Darren Baker story in there because <laughs> Darren can't be with us because of an injury today, but Darren was there in 2009. But just, like, tell the story, tell some of the, tell the, the Danny Nightingale bit, tell the Darren bit, tell the, just, just roll some of it out, man. Yeah, so, um, it was an interesting race. <laughs> uh, we uh, set off on day one, um, extremely difficult. We got, I think we got like 22 kilometers of steep inclines and declines and, uh, Dealing with 40 degree heat, and uh, there's a lot, a lot of experienced people out there. You know, there's, there's some special forces guys out there. A lot of military back, backgrounds. So you mentioned Danny Nightingale, who was quite famous in the uh, news a couple of years back for uh, a case in, uh, involving possession of a handgun. But I digress a little bit. So, so just, just to anyone listening, Danny Nightingale is an SAS captain on Team Black, and he's in Iraq, and he flies from Iraq to Brazil to be to take part in this race. And bear in mind, he's been in Iraq and Afghanistan and that for like months and months beforehand. And he turns up at the race. And actually, we spent quite a lot of time with Danny at the beginning. And yeah. Darren, this is how we got to know Darren Baker. So we get to know Darren and Danny and a couple of the others, like in the three, four days build up to it. And then we start the race. Uh, I, I can't remember what point it was in, on that day. Um, but Don't look at me, I was unconscious. Yeah, it was at the end. Basically, um, I, got, I got in at about two o'clock in the afternoon. It had been an extremely hard day, and uh, walked into camp. And Darren, Darren was uh, uh, unconscious in a hammock on a drip. Me or Daz? No, me. yeah, you. Yeah, yeah so you. Yeah. I would have been basically this yeah. guy the hardest like 30Ks I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And to give you an idea, we started at like at seven o'clock in the morning. We got in at like two in the afternoon for 30Ks. Yeah, extreme, extreme. And I was unconscious in the drip. And, and uh, basically all hell was breaking out on, on the beach. Um, medical, medical. Medical emergencies, yeah. And bear, bear in mind, uh, we say we're, we're in Brazil in the jungle. We, we were properly in the jungle. We, we, we had a 11 hour boat ride from the nearest sort of settlement in, into, the, into the jungle to then spend the next week running back. 
So, you know, it wasn't a case of uh, there's, a, there's a hospital around the corner or a local doctor's surgery. You know, there's a donkey waiting over a cart and, you know, hopefully you're going to survive if we pull you out of here. So, yeah, when the doctor starts screaming and shouting medical emergency and I'll see Darren unconscious and, you know, in a, in a drip and, like, and then the uh, Baker comes, Baker's being pulled down this hill on a, on, on a stretcher, basically. Um, and, yeah, it's like the doctors and nurses are, like, basically look at, like, screaming and shouting. So, like, we need to get him to hospital. So... We're there raising funds for Great Ormond Street because of hardly having thousands of seizures. At the briefing, one of the women at the briefing has collapsed and had a massive seizure. And then you come, you finish the day, I'm unconscious in a hammock with a drip hanging out my arm. With blood dripping down your arm. Yeah, covered in <laughs> claret. And um, they're bringing Darren down the hill on a stretcher yeah. who's having a seizure that's so far lasted an hour. Yeah. <laughs> What's going like we haven't even got to the Danny bit yet? No. <laughs> What's going on in your head at that point? <laughs> oh right, I I just thought, thought what the fuck have I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> this was not part of the plan. <laughs> what were you expecting what were your expectations going in? Because uh, like you You'd Googled hardest foot race in the world. <laughs> and you've had a couple of Stellas and this and the other. But beforehand, like, what did you envisage? Like, what did you envision that race to be? Well, it's funny you say it, Josh, because it's probably what I was thinking back then, exactly what you're thinking about the race. Yeah, yeah, no, no, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> you poor fool. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know, you, you try to sort of anticipate what's going to happen and you sort of you sit there and you think about, uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong and how you're going to deal with it. But uh, when it actually happens, it's, yeah, it's completely different. You know, you just... I wasn't expecting people to be dying left, right, and centre, and screams, and you know, mm. uh, I thought it was going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, and this is on day one. Right? This is day one. Day one. This is day, day one. Day one. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, so, so basically, you're going back to Baker. I mean, I was told that he he was likely going to die. Jesus you know, and this is this is this is a lad I've got to know and, uh, before the race over. You know, about a week or so. Lovely bloke, and then. You know, saying this might be the last time I see him alive, and he's just getting shuttled off onto onto a boat, basically, to be taken down the river. Um, yeah, it's pretty impacted. And we sort we we talked the other day about um, you know what causes a PTSD. You know, in, in somebody, is, is it is it seeing something repeatedly and that stress build up in your life, or or you going through something? You know, and will, will, will that happen? And uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a massive, massive worry, and like, and then down, seeing Darren like that, and I'm thinking, oh, mate, I've agreed to come along with Darren. I supported him on this journey. And I'm thinking, what the hell, is Karen thinking back home? You know, like if she, if she could see this, you know, like, you know, like, am, am I, am, am I actually helping? At that point, I felt, am I actually helping Darren, and, and mm. am I doing the right thing by doing these races? Because we're putting ourselves in, you know, real harm's risk. So I had lots of lots of emotions going from my head, and you know, um, yeah, lots lots of conflicting stuff going on. So they're working on Daz. I come round. <laughs> you come round. Yeah. I come round. I come round in my hammock, R covered in claret. 
Don't know what's going on. Rip the drip out. <laughs> yeah, rip the drip out of my arm because I'm thinking, fucking my mate's struggling here, I better get up and try and help. Because that helps a lot when you're like in a <laughs> yeah. mess, doesn't it? You know, one medical emergency, what you really need is a man to rip a drip out of his arm and come and help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I get up and like all I can hear now, like 50 yards away, is medical, medical. And Danny Nightingale, SAS captain, is laying on the floor having a massive seizure. <laughs> I'm trying to wonder, like, at what point do these taps from God and seizures <laughs> yeah. become, like, warnings? Here's from... a little hint, boys. <laughs> Mate, yeah. Literally couldn't make it up. I, I promise you, right? I've, I've come round and I'm like... I said, I've literally said to him, Mate, like, where am I? What's going on? And he's like... Day one's done, you're on the beach, we're having a bit of an issue. You're in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you're gonna Come be... on, Granddad. I was like, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. He's not going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a sedative over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. and, and, and joking aside, no. Because they'd used every benzo that they had trying to stop Darren's seizure and failed. Mate. So Darren's been seizing for like an hour, an hour and a half, whatever. Like, like if a, if a seizure gets to four and a half, five minutes, you're phoning an ambulance. Mm. This is a major problem. Darren's been going for like an hour and a half by this point. In like 40 degree heat. In 40 after degree heat. After running yeah, yeah. like 30 and, on a beach, and 12, 12 hours, 12 hours from, hospital, from the hospital. Yeah. No, 12 hours from the nearest village. village yeah. And then like you've got an ambulance right to the hospital from there. And then Danny goes down. Oh, and mate. Danny's like a big guy, isn't he? Yeah, big Like yeah, Danny's big a, like. Most of the SAS guys are, are like the little wiry he's dudes. He's a big guy, he's like a fat lad. He's not a fat lad, mate. <laughs> he's a, but, well, he's a big dude, though, isn't he? He's yeah, like. He's a tall big dude, yeah. And, and like broad. Yeah. Like just tall, broad. He's just a big lump, man. He's the sort of man that you wouldn't want to fight with. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he wasn't the SAS. <laughs> You'd be like, can I just oh, come out no. and some whiskey now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive glass as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. So yeah, so they've, they've used like, they've, they've taken a certain amount of benzos with them mm. to try and deal with this kind of stuff and they've smacked half of them into Darren and then Danny's out. So then they go, no, like, no, no joy, we're gonna have to get him out as well. So they're then trying to lift Danny and get him from where he's collapsed to the water's edge to the boat. It's a bit hazy for me, but you're involved in that? Yep. Uh, like, oh. like, people listening to this are, are, are going to be going, really? Really? And, like, it obviously is true, but, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> where were where you when, when you're carrying an unconscious SAS lad to the medical evacuation boat <laughs> <laughs> on the end of the first day? <laughs> I want my mum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was all hands on deck, really. You know, again, goes back to what me and Darren do for jobs. It was just a case of uh, didn't I didn't really think about that sort of stuff. I was just like, I need how can I help? What can I do? Um, picked up help with the stretcher. I'll take it down to the boat and get him in. And just you know, we just hope that the doctors could sort of you know do what they need to do to keep him alive. Um, you, I think you just. So what would you do? What would you do? I don't know. 
I don't know, because I can hardly Do you run around screaming on fire and roll around the floor going, I was off my tits, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I can hardly remember Yeah, I tried, to, I tried to get you back in the hammock, because you was in a bit of a state. Um, yeah, I remember you putting me back in my hammock and basically saying, stay there, you dickhead. Yeah. So I get back in the hammock, I, I'm like, mass- I mean, it, it, just for people listening, it's 42 degrees, and what I'd done for people, it turns out, was... Drinking too much water, wasn't it? Yeah, for, for a couple of people, it was too much water, where they'd flushed all of the salts out of the system. And so, hyponatremia, I think it's called. Yeah. You have massive, you know, basically without any salts, the way your body passes messages around, if you haven't got enough and it's too hot, then you pack up and you have massive seizures. Um, I'm struggling. Darren's, Darren's on a boat, like, an hour up the river. Danny's now on a boat, going up the river. They're out of boats. And the Japanese guy comes down the hill, basically with his arm sort of dislocated, <laughs> kind of hanging at a really weird angle. <laughs> There's no more boats. <laughs> and um, and they, they make a, like some decision, I don't know how it's done, that they, they kind of get another boat from somewhere. Yeah. They call it like the local tribal village or whatever it is. And they, they kind of get the Japanese guy it was Japanese, wasn't it? In, in the boat, and they, they kind of cart him off. And we, we go to bed. Like, I'm, I'm obviously already in mine, but you go to bed. We get up the next morning, <clears throat> and bearing in mind it's now day two, beginning of day two. <laughs> Let's do this again. Yeah. So I go to get out of my hammock, and you stop me putting my foot in a shoe with a scorpion in it. Yeah. Because I'm still, like, out there with the fairies, like, I'm having a bad day. Yeah, so you saved my ass again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we managed to get the shoes on and stuff, and we get to the start line, and Shirley pulls up and goes, I've got some news. <laughs> it's not good. All of the medical team are now dispersed, like, all over, like, basically that part Brazil. of Brazil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to save all these people. So it, it, the race can continue but only if all of you will sign a disclaimer to say that you're prepared to do this with no medical support whatsoever. How's that looking? <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember me, me and you just looked at each other and uh, we went, oh no, I, I, I didn't say anything to you. I said, mate, I've just traveled, traveled you know, thousands of miles across the world. Um, I've trained my ass off for the last 18 months to be here. I ain't going home. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry on. And we, we both looked at each other and went, yeah, yeah, I think we'll give us a go. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a liberty, and we, we were running into the unknown, literally. Um, and we had no medical support, and she couldn't guarantee our safety. And I was signing a disclaimer that basically said, if I die, which is likely, <laughs> um, it's your fault. You know, and that's effectively what she was saying to us. Yeah. Um, but you know, that people had sponsored us, uh, supported us, local businesses have helped us. And this is like the first event, yeah, yeah, post yeah. obviously everything this is happening. the first ever event. First ever event, yeah. Do you feel that pressure of sponsors, um, not just for that event, but obviously the others as well? Yeah, continually, yeah. I, I, I feel not, not just the corporate sponsors, but my friends and my family and, uh, you know, every, everybody, when they donate 10 pounds or 500 pounds, that they're, what they're doing is showing their faith in, in me mm-hmm. and you know saying yeah you can do this you know yeah. and uh, 
you know, and I, I feel obliged to, you know, go out there and, and, and achieve yeah. what 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 we, we try set out to achieve. 100%. So I feel, I feel that pressure, and uh, also, you know, it's it's not just it's not about me. It's about you know the, the charities, charities, yeah. the charities, and like if 100%. I don't if I don't go out there, and if I don't achieve, and if I fail some way, then maybe that charities won't get them as much money as they should have done, and you know, so everything like that sort of sits on my shoulders and yeah it's a heavy burden sometimes I definitely and think also, but it's also motivation yeah you know? I definitely think that from, from sort of fundraising you understand like how much fundraising comes once you achieve it and sort of like when you're asking people for donations and stuff like that like you get a lot in the build up but then there's so much of that happens from well I'll give you money once you've done it mm. or I'll donate once the job is done yeah. and so you're sitting there waking up on day two not only having run 30k, but then looked after this bunch of muppets and putting him back in his hammock and carrying a big unit to a boat in 40 degree heat, you're knackered from your own run and you're helping everyone else, being a little kind of guardian angel, saviour at the end of the day, along with the medical team. And you're waking up on day two going, well, the job's not done and I've still got something to do. And I, like, honestly, like, I just think that's quite remarkable. Mate, it gets worse. <laughs> Man, that was the best day of that race. <laughs> you said it's a motivator, right? Yes. And you've been through a lot of dark sides. We've had to dig a lot deeper than most of us have ever had to do. So is it something that consciously goes through your head? As in, I don't want to let people down. Is that the sort of motivator that it is? Or is it just something that's there in the, the background somewhere? Is it, is it a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, I guess? Uh, it, it, it's become a subconscious thing now for me. It's not something I sort of actively think about. At that point? At that point, yeah. At that point, yeah. And uh, that's, that's what sort of got me out of my hammock and I've got blisters, you know, the size of golf balls on the back of my ankles and thinking, oh, I've got another 150 cases. to go. <laughs> Fine, no problem. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the jungle being the jungle, it's, it's a really inhospitable place to, mm. to go. It's, it's, it's horrendous. People think the jungle's flat, you know, and it's, it's just hot. Nope. No, there's no, there's no flat in the jungle. It's just hills, and you know, that, we had a saying, didn't we? If it's green, it's mean. Yeah. And, 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 and everything's green. Everything's green in the jungle. <laughs> it's green, it's mean, and everything is green. Yeah. And uh, well, so we went out, and um, Darren uh, decided to, uh, you know, against the doctors. Well, the, the remaining doctors, or, sorry, remaining nurse. Or actually, was there anybody there? I think, I think it was just Shirley saying, "Don't do it, Darren." Shirley was like, "You need to have a relax." I was like, <laughs> "No, I'm going to do it." And uh, so we went out, and. Uh, Obviously, uh, um, Darren was suffering. That sort of brings me on to a bit of a, bit of a story, actually, um, with Nick. This was this was the first year of Nick, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, we'd 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 gone through, I think, the first ten k's, and a lot lot of the jungle was swamps. And uh, <laughs> we got into this swamp, and uh, Nick, this guy, uh, Nick Latham, is it? Was Nick? Was it Latham? Oh, not Latham. Yeah, Trinell, sorry, it's not really like a problem. Yeah, um, yeah, Nick Trinell, uh, he he's with us, and uh, we go into this swamp, and this this little black, I call it like a flying spider of delayed death, comes out comes out of this nest, 
And bear in mind, we're in a swamp where we're, you know, up to our sort of chest slash waist, and uh, it starts flying towards us. And we, we start screaming, like, like <laughs> run away, run away, get out of the water as quick as you can. And, uh, <laughs> like, it nailed Nick, it nailed Nick right, right in the, the chest. chest. Yeah, and it left, it, it, it left like... Um, teeth marks. Well, yeah, not, not even teeth marks, like it, was like, it was like an RAF yeah. circular sign on red, his chest. big white circle, yeah. big red circle around it. Yeah. And straight away, he goes, it's like someone's put a clamp around my chest. We're in the middle of a swamp. Yeah, and uh, he started, he started basically like, breathing difficulties and stuff. And this is day two. This is day two. Yeah. So we, so we, so we, so yeah. we've had, we've had like you know day day one where we've had we lost two two you know strong guys and we think they might be dead. We don't know. We've no one told us what's going on. We're still waiting for hearing information back. And we've got up and day two, it's another cluster straight away. And we're thinking, well, oh my God, what you know. What was that day two stage like? What, what kind of distance? Forty-seven, wasn't it? Yeah, forty-six, yeah, forty-seven. It was about forty-seven, yeah, and like, like distance. How, how far into that forty-seven? Pretty early doors. About ten. So when like, this happens. yeah, yeah. yeah. So happens, like, you've yeah. just signed a disclaimer. Yeah. Going, I agree that there's no medical assistance. Uh, we we were having regular conversations about, you know, should we actually try to pull out of this? And actually, on on the first checkpoint, like. Three of the people that was with us just shook their heads. Really? Yeah. And sat down, didn't they? Yeah. And uh, Mei Ling. Mei Ling, yeah. So Mei Ling, one of the girls that was like running with us, we, we get in and she's like, do you know what? This is just fucking silly. And I was here to do something stupid. But there comes a point where we, we've just gone too far, basically. And so Mei Ling and a couple of others just binned it there and then, didn't they? And then Nick got nailed in that swamp. He got nailed, yeah. <laughs> and we did the comedy runaway. You did your, uh, an amazing impression of Jesus. Walking on water. You yeah. were walking on water all the way out of that swamp. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nick was quite ill after that, and uh, I sort of jumped forward a little bit, but uh, we got home and uh, he was really suffering still. He went to his doctors, he saw specialists, and he had Lyme disease. <laughs> Amongst other things. <laughs> Amongst other things, yeah. Did he finish the event? Uh, no, 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 he didn't. That no. knocked him out, didn't he? No. It? So it didn't knock him out, but but actually what happens is, like, oh, mate, it's your story. Um, I think it, it, well, yeah. So this guy's a Gaz. Gaz, yeah. So you could, yeah, so uh, Darren, Darren's suffering, uh, Nick's suffering, we're all suffering, um, and we, I'm still, I'm actually still doing pretty well. Mate, you was in a good place, weren't you? I was in a good place. I was moving um, pretty quickly, and despite all the clusters around me, yeah, I was doing okay. And um, we had a conversation about um, about basically me pushing on, um, as you do in these events when you, when you go out there. It's like, right, you know, the quicker you get in, the more recovery you get. And and actually, the conversation we had was, was like, you know, we we want to make sure we get through this, someone gets through it to the end, push on try to achieve what we wanted to achieve. So, um, reluctantly, um, I, we agreed to separate. And I pushed forward. And, and going through the story so far, like, that, that doesn't strike me as an easy decision for you to accept when people are saying, like, given how much you'd been there for Darren, like, like, this kind of story, you've kind of been there for everyone. 
and at that point you're in a good place and people are saying, mate, push on. Like, talk me through how you felt there and, and, and kind of having been someone who's been there for everyone to then go, mate, go and run your race, do your thing. Really, really difficult. Mm. You know, like, we, we, we always go out to these events, um, you know, we're, we're, gonna stick, we're gonna do this together, we're gonna stick together. And yeah. It just doesn't always work in the jungle, does it? You know, because everyone's got a very slightly different pace or, you know, it, it just, it, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, to sort of leave, but to leave Darren when all this stuff is going on and separate, and then you're in your risk of being in the jungle by yourself, as well, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, lot of things to think about and it did worry me mm. and I did feel bad, yeah, I felt bad. So I can't remember, did we find Nick and then you go or did you go and then we found Nick? Um, not Nick. Sorry, Gaz. Gaz, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I go. And then we find Gaz. And then you find Gaz, yeah. So, so just, like, just to fill some background in, like, I find um, one of the other guys, he's ex-SAS, he's retired, he's out there having some fun, basically, because this is the way these guys have fun. Um, and I come out of the corner and he's holding a tree with ants all up his arm, biting him. And we're like, what are you doing, Gaz? He's like, oh, I'm having a bit of a mare. What's up, mate? I can't see. <laughs> what do you mean he can't see? I've gone blind. Oh. So he's basically he's, he's packing up his and he's he's gone blind. So me and Nick are now with him, carrying his kit and him, trying to get him to the medical checkpoint. Knowing that somewhere ahead he's crashing through the jungle. Was you with John Shield at that point? Yeah. So he's linked up with John's a Marine at that point? Yeah, he's a Marine, yeah. So he's he's linked up with one of the Royal Marines that's out there and he's crashing around in the jungle like, I don't know, five, ten Ks ahead of us, whatever it might be and we're, we're basically carrying Gaz out. So that's like literally, I get to the checkpoint and the conversation that takes place is, he's really seriously ill, he's, he's, he's got a, a problem that, you know, you don't go blind without it being a major issue. We need to get him out and get him to hospital and all the rest of it. There's no medical team, there's no one left. I need you two, it was me and Nick that was with him, your help to get him out of the jungle, which means your race is done if you go. Like, we, we've got to basically carry him out. So, so you're sitting there with a decision to make of... Race mate, like, I there's mean, no decision to be made whatsoever. Yeah, and it's yeah, not, yeah. And, and, and like, the temptation is for you sitting there going, well, that's because you're such a nice guy and you want to get him out. I'm on my ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and I'm being presented with an out mm. where I come out of it looking good. Like... So, so like, let's not pretend it's something heroic. I'm on my ass, and I'm being presented with a no wit. Like, there's no option. I can't say no, can I? Because he's well, in, no he's, he's in the shit, really, and he needs to get out. And I'm going to come out of this looking like a decent human being. So, like, me, me and Nick are like fucking, <laughs> yeah, first time ever. <laughs> me and Nick are like fucking high-fiving each other at this point. We're like, Jesus Christ, we're going to come out of this looking all right. And then in the back of my brain, I'm going, oh, poor bastard. Like, he's missed this wonderful out. And that's like being disrespectful and stuff. And obviously, we weren't thinking like that. And we was concerned about saving Gaz, but... Yeah. 
in my brain, I'm thinking like five k's ahead of us, with like a hundred and whatever k's left. He's still crashing around with this fucking lunatic Royal Marine. But at this point, Aaron, you don't know that because obviously you've. No, I did. I did know because. Oh, what? I've so you passed gas as well? Or? No, because I've come into a, I've come into a checkpoint. Yeah. And I've 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 been told on on the radio what's what's happening. But I've, I've basically someone's told me what's happening, and gas gas has gone down, and Darren and, and Nick are trying to eva evacuate him. Mm. You know, help evacuate him to you know some, get some medical assistance. And uh, bear in mind, knowing what. Darren had gone through as well the last sort of 24 hours and that they were out of the race and yeah, yeah I, I did realise that I'm now alone and there's, there's not many fucking people left. <laughs> it's about, no one's left standing. Yeah, um, and, and I've, still, I've, still, I've still got several days to go. Yeah, it's quite a scary place to be, and, you know. Um, obviously I was concerned for Gaz and mm. what was happening to the boys, but uh, yeah, you're thinking, oh my God. Yeah, shit's, shit's in the fan and it's getting worse. I think um, just kind of knowing part of this story, I think it's important to tell the listeners what you find in Gaz's pack that you're evacuated about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is getting to that hour and not getting to know me. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to do this on your time? God, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should uh, save that for Darren. Save that uh, for Darren's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, stay uh, tuned, listeners. Stay yeah, tuned. stay tuned for that. So, uh, yeah, you, you want to you know what's in Gaz's pack. 100%. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, go on, like, I'm gone now. Like, me and Nick, we're, we're busy with the, the ox <laughs> trying to negotiate an unconscious ex SAS man on the back of an ox out of the jungle. And you're like K's ahead. Go, go with the story from there. <laughs> uh, so um, I think I'll get to the long stage. I've spent a couple of days in the jungle with uh, John. Um, yeah, the suffering continues. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, I'm st I think it was day four actually. I'll, I'll go back 24 hours and. Uh, so now Darren, Darren and Nick are out, and um, uh, Gaz is safe, um, and Darren and Nick are, are helping with the, you know, the remaining clusterfuck, that's, <laughs> that, uh, and helping Shirley deal with all the problems and stuff, and they're, they're just trying to help out basically. So I carry on the race, and uh, so, so me and John are, uh, get to this ravine, and uh, we stop to take some Harry Bay or something, and uh, this. This wasp or jungle hornet or something, I hate jungle hornets, they <laughs> comes up to her and stings John in the chest. He's like, ah, 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 and I didn't even see it. I was like, what, what's the matter, what's the matter? He goes, just be stung. And then like, with about three seconds, I got stung. And then, and then he got stung again. And then like, it was like, it's like instant, like, we've got to do something, we've got to do something, we've got to do something, right? So, <laughs> so like, I said, John, we've just got to run, we've just got to run. Yeah, just we can't stand here talking about getting stung. Let's just get the hell out of here. <laughs> I love jungle logic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Run away! Run away, yeah. That, that was a common theme right through it. So Let's I, see how many Ks we can get before anaphylactic shock kicks yeah, in. I, so I just... Oh, you should say yeah. <laughs> I, I, So I just sprint um, and... 
I run for, well, I don't know, it feels, feels like a long time, but it's probably not, it's probably only 50 metres or something. I get stung several, several more times. Um, at that point, I realise I've lost John. And I've stopped being stung, and uh, he's nowhere to be seen. So I'm sort of shouting out, John, John, John. And I've been with him for a you know, decent stage. Um, and uh, I didn't know at the time, but he then decided that he would walk back to the checkpoint and try to find a different route back to you know where he was going because of all these, all these, all these hornets. So I'm now stung several times in the jungle by myself when it's getting dark. And Darren's gone, and you know Nick's gone, and Baker's gone, and like, everyone's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it I was, more like the bloody Hunger Games. Yeah, it, it would really feel a bit like the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, so I'll spend the next sort of uh, few hours uh, feeling sorry for myself, walking through the, through the jungle, really. And yeah, it was I sort of. I went through a lot of lot of emotions that day, um, trying to sort of process what happened and to who and what the fuck I was actually doing out there. I mean, I was like, you know, I've got, I've got people who care for me back home, I've got responsibilities back home, and uh, I'm out here and like, I'm in the middle of jungle and I've got no medical team and all my mates are dead, nearly dead or, you know, <laughs> just gone, you know. It's, uh, it's quite a scary place to be. This uh, might sound naive coming from someone who hasn't been there. Because obviously in the moment I don't think you'd think of this, but you've seen all of these people gone down and they're out of the race, and you're still there at that point. Is there a part of you that's like think like because you're on your ass, anything could take you out. But is there a part of you that's thinking, I'm in here, like I've made it through this far. Um, it's day four or five, I believe it was. Yeah. Like. I've got this in the back. Five, four, six. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there speaks a man that I've never been there. <laughs> at, at no point do you think you've got this in the bag when you're in the jungle. It's just like, wow, I just survived the last five seconds. That's brilliant. I'm happy. Um, yeah, so I got into uh, I got I got into the checkpoint and uh, uh, I'll, I'll speak to you and it's the long stage coming up, so it's it's a big big ask for the next stage. So. Already done at this point, already done like 130 kilometres or something more ridiculous, that. more than that, yeah. through jungle terrain and yeah, all difficulties. And uh, yeah, I set off um, on the long stage by myself. And you can't really train for these long stages, it's really difficult. Uh, and it's hot, and it's really hot. And, and we'll come out of the jungle and we're actually in, you know, these sort of sandy pathways with no shade for five or six hours and uh, yeah I, it was a real battle and a s struggle for me. How many people are actually left in at this stage because it seems like everyone is pretty much... Well it was actually, I can't, I think the first race was actually quite a lot of people, like, there was, there was like over a hundred people in the first race however by, by, that point, by that point, there was there was not many left at all. Probably, probably, I'd say probably less than twenty people left. Yeah, definitely. About, and did you ever stage. think that people would cotton on to the fact that you were taking all these people out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to win by default. Will be world's best ultra. It's no longer become a distance run. It's just last man standing. Yeah, yeah I, I really struggled that day. Um, uh, Demoralised by what happened. Yeah, and, I bet. Um, 
my my feet were a bit of a mess. Um, I, I stopped. Fight like, like, I love this. Because when we say my feet were a bit of a mess, people that haven't played this game don't really understand what you mean by my feet were a bit of a mess. So, like, I can't... <laughs> Uh, tell him, tell him the story of the guy who's the sole of his foot came off oh, <laughs> while we were having, oh, while we were eating pot noodles. Actually, no, no, don't, don't, don't tell that story. No one needs to know that story. Yeah, yeah. But like when, when, when you say your feet were a bit of a mess, genuinely, I watched a man peel the whole sole of his foot off, where it had been sliding backwards and forwards in his trainer, and rather than like a, a blister, the whole sole of his foot. Yeah. And, and it, it, it just become effectively detached, wasn't it? And he took his sock off. And as he took his sock off, he turned it inside out. Oh and the whole of the sole of his foot was still inside his sock. It, it was like something from Hellraiser, wasn't it, really? I mean, that's what I so like, when it. you say your feet were like a bit of a mess... I didn't have any toenails left, uh, <laughs> so to give you an idea. Yeah, I lost a lot of toenails. Uh, I'd sort of, uh, I had a golf ball-sized blister on the back of my trainer, and every time I took a step, I was crying. I was in that much pain. Literally, so, and I'm like, I've still got 30, 40 kilometres to go before getting to the checkpoint. Um, <clears throat> on that that race that year, Shirley uh, organised um, cut-off points for times. Um, so you had to be in a certain certain time by the end of, by the end of this time, otherwise, you know, you wouldn't make a checkpoint. That was to do with safety and what had happened out there, and obviously, and you know, making sure people could get there in time and um, uh, I didn't make the cutoff effectively. I carried on walking. I got in probably about two hours after the cutoff. Um, it sounds like a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not not really when you've been out when you've been out in the jungle for four and a half days. Yeah, and then the long the long stage was like um, it was uh, quite I mean it's Day and a half, mate, effectively, day and a half of being out there. And to sort of get in and then realise that you just haven't been quick enough and you haven't moved for checkpoints quick enough and I've suffered all week and um, she said she said to me, so like, Aaron, you know, you know you, you're, effectively you're out of the race, you know, you just haven't made it here by a certain time. And uh, I was like, I was relieved. Even though I was so close to the finish line, a part of me was relieved. I was like, I'm alive and I'm out of here and I've had enough. And, uh, you know, I was like, I want to go with beer with Darren. Like, that's it, that's all I was. <laughs> I got to that point, you know. I was hurting so much and, yeah. But I was, I was, I was also gay because I got out there and I'd not achieved what I wanted to achieve. So I only had, I only had the second day, the last day to do, which was a 20k yomp up the beach. Mm. That's all I had left to do uh, to complete the race. Um, Charlie said to, she said to me, she goes, look, Aaron, she goes, I know I've had to disqualify you, but if you want to just finish the race, you know, the distance off, you can, you, can, you can walk up there with John um, on the final day and cross the finish line. Um, and so that's what I did. And uh, we had a yomp up the beach and uh, we crossed the finish line together. So although I didn't get a finish time, I was sort of in my head, I'd, I'd sort of gone, yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of made it. You did make it. <laughs> I, mean, I did make it, yeah. Of all the shit we've ever done, I stand by this statement. That comedy was the was the, the most difficult thing I've ever seen. Mm. It was so hot, and everything was so against not just you, but just everyone. That I honestly, genuinely believe that's the most difficult thing we've ever looked at. Would you um, do you ever do it again? 
Yeah, about three times. <laughs> <laughs> so this was what I was about to come on to. So like, you see this, and both of you see this, like, in the trenches. Like, and then 2011, you decide it's a good idea to go back. Well, I'm going to throw this in early doors. Like, so because of what's happened with Gaz and me and Nick pulling, pulling him out and getting him to the medical boat and fucking all of the, the whole story, we have a conversation with Shirley and Shirley goes, she's a race director and she goes, like, I need to thank you for helping Gaz out and I need to apologise to you for, like, you've basically done, like, 150k in a jungle with no medical support. So the only sensible and fair thing to do is to offer you a free place in the race. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, this is 2009 still. She's a clever one, that Shirley, isn't she? <laughs> she's <laughs> a clever one. Do you know she's what? not like, as green as she is. Yeah. <laughs> one of the two. Mate, I love her. She's an amazing woman. And um, I hated her then. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly because she'd beaten me. Ooh. I'm like, this isn't about me, this is about you, but like, so she offers us a free place. Go 2011. He's like, mate, we've got a free place in 2011. So I was like, are you joking? <laughs> uh, actually, before you do that, let's, let's go like, we've had no sponsors. Like, we've done all of this and we've raised like seven grand. Yeah. And we've each got Four grand on our credit cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah the, the first race, I, I, we, I, I worked myself to death doing overtime to pay for the race. Um, and because it was our first event and we, we were relatively unknown and the prod, and endurance limits was not really known, um, we had to cover it ourselves and we didn't really have that corporate sponsorship mm. uh, that we that we luckily enough do have now. And uh, yeah, so. <coughs> We, we came out of that and you know to, sort of to go back and try again and Dar Darren is probably one of the most determined people I know um, and when he said to me about going back part, part of me wanted to go back and go actually yeah you know I'm going to get an official time this time I'm mm. going to smash it and Darren's going to achieve what I know he can achieve and and again he was like, right, okay, maybe, maybe we, can, we can do this for the charity as well. We can raise some money here. And I was like, well, yeah. We've got this 250 grand target. Yeah, we're like way 10 off. Grand. We're way off. Yeah. Like, yeah. We've, we've failed, man. Yeah. Like, it's, we've crashed and burned, haven't we? We're like, we're, <laughs> we're fucking, it's a car crash, man. Yeah. Like, we've done 10 grand out of a quarter of a million quid target. Yeah. And like, so like, when you finish 2009 and you reflect on, okay, We've raised 10 grand each, or like, sorry, we've raised 10 grand, we've got 240K left to go, and you're both absolutely, like you've just gone through a week cutting through the jungle, this and the other. Like, I'm just trying to understand in terms of, because I can definitely imagine that there's the whole ego thing, or not, not even ego, but just kind of. I thought we were talking about. Shirley's beating okay. me. Like. 
but for Take both of you, and get out. <laughs> <laughs> but for both of you, in terms of, got a jug. We've got a jug going on. Do you want, do you want a jug going top the jelly? <laughs> Don't give it the sign. <laughs> Just for wow. anyone listening. Uh, wow. We've, we've got more drinks that have been delivered, which means that if you're listening, buckle in, because we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 2011 story. <laughs> we are refreshed. Um, so you've done 2009, you've raised 10,000, and then... Like, <laughs> I think the real question is how many beers needed to be had <laughs> to go... That is the least amount of beers we ever drunk. Really? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'll, we had a very simple conversation that lasted only a few minutes. Um, the opportunity came up to go back and... Uh, <laughs> We both agreed very quickly that we were going to go back and try again, despite everything that happened. Man. And uh, that did actually cause some grief back home. One <laughs> 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 thing I'm, I'm curious about this, and I know there's a massive middle part to this, the story, but there's like so many different stories you guys can tell because you've done so many stupid things, right? What are you expecting to find out on the ocean this time? Like, well, think about all the challenges you've been through. People dropping down left, right and centre and you're still kind of going on. Obviously there's the attempt that you guys did a few years ago. You've got a couple of novices here. I'm genuinely not going to answer this because this is about. That's Aaron. why I'm asking Aaron. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you should have said what you guys. You should have actually said. What well, I started you? off by asking Aaron. You wanted to make it about yourself. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pot! I wanted to make kettle. <laughs> but you know, you've got a couple of endurance novices. I know you've done no, no, and stuff, but compared to what you. What are you expecting to find out there and what little words of advice? Yes, Darren, we can include you as well. No, I just want a drink. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I think over the years I've been mindful uh, not to be Ahab and the whale. And it can, it can you know, get to a point where you, you see red and you want to you get to that finish line no matter what. And you, you know you, you take risks and you go too far and you just want to you want to achieve what you promised your people and charities you set out to achieve. Um, it's this this row. I, I like to think I've matured over the years. Uh, I like to think that, but uh, maybe I haven't. Um, this this row for me is the accumulation of 12 years of endurance limits. And it's been a journey from the, the first jungle race we did in 2009 through till today. And yeah, you highlighted that uh, we, we have done this once before, tried this once before, and because of mechanical failure, we didn't make it. And that's another story, which we can tell you another night about. Um, but to have you guys along um, as novices and be on the boat, um, you know, 
it's not ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> Misery loves company and all that, but no, no. You know, to share that experience with you guys is is, is going to be amazing, and I'm really excited about being out on the ocean. I generally am, and I know I know people, our family, friends back home are worried about you know our safety out there, but uh, you know we are going to be safe. We are going to look after each other. And you know we're going to have an adventure, and I, it's really, really nice for me to see you two sitting here who've not done stuff like this before, and 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 in sort of embrace what me and Darren have done the last 12 years, and you know that that sort of ethos sort of going out there and meeting people and enjoying stuff, and like you know, okay, yeah, maybe taking a bit of a liberty here and there, but no, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not here to, to you know. Meet a watery death. We're, 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 we're Just to be clear, yeah. everyone, yeah. we're not here to meet a watery no, death. No, no, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's gonna be very dry. Yeah, <laughs> very dry. I'm gonna die in and, the cabin. And, and it's lovely. <laughs> and it's lovely listening to you know all your stories. It doesn't sound like death follows you around with his with his massive sickle whatsoever. Could be a small sickle. You could just be yeah. holding. He's just, not, he's just not fast enough. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm just. I'm, I, I just want to go out there and I want to enjoy the experience. Yeah. And to have you guys on board. And I, I don't know you particularly well just yet. I'm getting to know you guys. Um, yeah, I'm just. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a fantastic experience. Is there one thing? that you're kind of looking forward to out there when we're in the middle of the ocean? Uh, what am I most looking forward to out there? Uh, Joe, I think what I'm most looking forward to is looking up at the stars and hopefully seeing the Milky Way. We don't, I don't get to see that back home. Well, we forgot to buy then, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Milky Way. Chocolate Milky Way would be nice, yeah. Uh, just, just to appreciate nature, really, and be able to look up stars and have a clear view of the night sky. Um, and to have that um, that silence, really, be, be away from the sort of, you know, normal life, 24-7 that's busy, and, you know, we all go through our routines each day. Just, just to be out there and just, yeah. yeah. One, appreciate our surroundings. One thing you said right at the beginning, which kind of really stood out to me was um, you seem to see beauty in adversity. Yeah. Like, almost like the harder it gets, just little things become quite kind of profound. And I may be putting words into your mouth, but it almost sounds like you kind of use those, whether it's that beautiful starry night, the Milky Way, whatever. You mentioned like a waterfall in the middle of the, the forest. Are those the sort of things that actually kind of drive you on that you kind of just look at and go, "This is life is life is beautiful even at its ugliest." Yeah, um, f feeling pain makes you feel alive. It's a real strange thing to say. It's really interesting, like something that I've always said, and I think that that was really eloquently described and spoken there, Simon. But. I think something like that's always stood out to me is that with the incredible highs come the incredible lows, or the reverse, with the incredible lows come mm. the incredible highs. And we kind of go through like regular life and kind of normality, not really experiencing the upper and lower echelons of that. Like we, like, like we kind of might have a little dip and a little peak here and there, but volunteering yourself to go and say, right, I'm gonna put myself in the trenches and I'm gonna experience that low point 
and I'm going to kind of volunteer for that means that the, the euphoric feeling that comes with the incredible high is that much sweeter and that much mm. better because you've volunteered and you've taken on that hurt and that pain and that suffering. And what it also does, it makes you appreciate the things you do have. Mm. And you go home and you have your creature comforts and you know you have your, your food on your plate and your loved ones around you and you know, actually you think, I'm very lucky to have, have this. You know. It's years and years and years ago, we used to have a training racing partner, and this will resonate for M if she listens to this, but you know, we'd go and do whatever training sessions, you're kind of like sick as a dog, you've kind of trained hard, whatever. Mm. But it would be like the sun's just coming up or just some something very normal but beautiful would happen and he would just always turn out, he was an Irish guy beautiful kind of like southern Irish accent and he would just say it's a it's a great day to be alive. Mm. It was like something so simple, but you'd just be like, actually, a few seconds ago, I just wanted to give up. Yeah. And just that little comment, you're like, actually, yeah, it's all worth it. Definitely. Yeah, I, I believe you're, you're only here once. Um, so you, you need to make the most of why you're here. Try to smile, help some others in a way. Mm. You know, and just embrace life experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say the same to my, my children as they get older. If they want to go out and you know seek adventures of them of their own, mm. um, I'll always support that, and uh, I hope they they embrace you know uh, that side of life. And hopefully, when they look at the stuff I've done when they grow older, um, maybe they'll think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to maybe not be quite so. <laughs> don't pick yourself from the jungle. Kids, don't go to the jungle kill yourself, please. But, uh, that would yeah. be my question. Yeah. So, <laughs> just say no. So, like, you're old no, and grey yeah, yeah. in five but, years' time. But, no, I'm joking. Whether it's just travelling with, with their friends yeah. or going out and just you know embracing life. As well. uh, I think that's also about you know what we've done over the last sort of twelve years. You know, just yeah. go out, go out there, do some good, embrace life, and you know, and smile, mm. and smile much as you can. I think that's a really important point, like, to smile while you're doing it. Like, um, there's that whole kind of thing of realising a moment before it's a memory. Sorry, I'll just cut back. All I've heard is Aaron telling people to smile. <laughs> <laughs> there must have been some serious shit that's yeah, yeah, yeah. between me leaving to use the toilet and coming back. <laughs> A little bit of people getting to know, know me, and uh, I come across as a quite a miserable SOB uh, <laughs> sometimes. And uh, I do apologise to my friends and family for that, and people who don't always know me. Uh, but I'm, I'm really not quite. I'm not really like that. Well, I think I think that's what we were talking about whilst Darren had stepped out, which is you have a perspective on life, which the way you're kind of looking at what's going on, the way you kind of deal with challenges be it challenges that are happening with friends that are closer to you or, or physically yourself. And it's not something that people would necessarily know just, just to look at. No. Um, I've, I've had some adversity in my life growing up um, um, and then friends and family around me and, we, we, you know, I know there's always someone else out there who suffered worse than I have and I'm grateful for 
you know, the good things in my life. Um, but it's, it has been a driving factor in what I've done. I, I certainly feel that um, the things I've gone through have made me who I am now, and I'm, I'll try to use them tools to push on and make, make the road successful. So when, when we do start suffering and you know, we're having bad days, um, yeah, I hope we're gonna, I'll be able to use what I've learned over the years to try to put a smile on my face and, and push on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Powerful. I stepped, I stepped up on this. So, just kind of talking about perspective, really, in terms of what we were looking forward to on the road. Um, and Aaron was saying, looking up and seeing the stars, like sort of the Milky Way, don't see that at home. Um, and that kind of being a bit of a motivator as well. Um, and Simon mentioned that there's a perspective where seeing the beauty when everything's hard and tough and seeing the beautiful in the ugly, um, which I think definitely sort of having heard the story sounds like something you've become very good at doing. Um, and sort of to be sure, like I'm not sure if that's something you've become good at doing or just something that was always innate within you. So what do you think? Like, do you think that's no, it's something I've learned yeah. over the years, yeah, and it's taken lots of ups and downs and suffering and, and disasters and, you know, for me to get to that point. Mm. And uh, it, it was actually um, <laughs> not so long ago that it happened to me, really. I think if we go back to 2014, it was my, la my last, uh, last event in the jungle, but something clicked in me. <laughs> Um, I've gone out on day one, uh, I've gone out to do the Brazil race and uh, Darren didn't take part that year but he's come out to support me and I wanted to give it, give it a go and I've gone out there because I think you had some injuries or, or some description. Um, I tore my Achilles. To us, yeah, you tore your Achilles that year, didn't you? Yeah, so you, you didn't make it. Um, but we went out there together and uh, Darren was just going to support me through the stages. And, and I went out on day one um, and within about three kilometres of a 250-kilometer race, I got attacked by jungle hornets, and I don't just mean attacked. I got absolutely annihilated by jungle hornets. I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, <laughs> I lost count of the amount of stings I had. Uh, when it's anaphylactic shock, um, and a couple of the runners uh, dragged me into a checkpoint where I had. Uh, a shot and uh, the medical team worked on me for a while and I was very, very ill. And this is something I'd trained for for a year and a half. So I'm like three k's in to something I've sacrificed and worked hard for and it's a complete disaster and I'm on my ass and I'm just like, uh, are, you, are, are you shitting me? It's bittersweet. Yeah. Being determined and stubborn, I get up and I'm like, no, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to carry on. Dogs like, no, you're not carrying on. You're. Is this why you guys have now turned to Ocean Road? Because there's no, <laughs> no jungle hornets out no there. No hornets. <laughs> <laughs> At least I really hope not. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I push on for the rest of the day. Um, I collapse several times, unconscious, being sick everywhere. Uh, I woke up on a boat and uh, get transported to checkpoint one. And yeah, my, my race is over, um, and I've been out there for five minutes, yeah. and 
the old Aaron would have would have been quite upset and uh, angry um, and frustrated that I'd failed. Again, in something that I'd set out to try and achieve and promise people I was going to do. Um, but I woke up and I thought, you know what, I'm in the jungle. I'm surrounded by amazing people and an amazing place, and this is an experience still, and I'm still trying to do, to do some good. Um, so I, I uh, teamed up with Darren and we helped some runners and did some checkpoint station stuff, cover, um, making sure people were rehydrated and what have you. And, uh, uh, that year, the organiser had said uh, we're going to have a marathon stage, um, just for the like 42k stage through the jungle, um, um, just for people who want to come out and experience the jungle, not do the whole the whole experience. So I said, I said to Shirley, I said, do you mind if I just do the day? Um, I've come out of training really hard. I'm starting to feel better now. I've had three days in camp recuperating. Whole three days. Yeah, wow. Whole three days. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, well, I went out and uh, completed the marathon, the marathon stage, and it was the most fun I'd had in the jungle in all the times up until that point. I, I, I ran through the jungle that day with a smile on my face. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did some good along the way as well. Um, that's another story. Um, I don't skip over it, mate, because you saved someone's life. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah. Mm. Um, like, and this is what annoys me. He just, ah, oh, I did a bit of good, and eh. yeah, I came across a, a runner uh, who had gone off the path, like dramatically gone off the path, and I just, I, I literally just saw her in the corner of my eye, and she, she was probably about 100 metres away, but on a straight line, heading in the wrong direction, and this was going towards dusk. And I was just like, I screamed over, I said, well, stop, 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 what are you doing? And uh, she, she didn't hear me, so I went after her a little bit and I shouted her again and she turned around and she saw me and she, she came back and uh, she, she was in a bit of a state, emotionally quite upset. And she got just dehydrated and tired and confused and wasn't sure where she was. Um, and she carried on walking off into the jungle with no, no markers, bearing in mind where we were and we had no, there was nothing tracking us. You know, it might have been the last time you know, yeah. I saw her. No. So um, I said to her, I said, look, you're fine. Don't worry, stay with me for the rest of the race. The uh, rest of the, that day, um, I sort of guided her through the last uh, sort of four or five hours and sort of, it got quite dark and I sort of said, like, wait here, I'll go forward 20 metres and you come forward and we'll keep doing that. Don't worry, you're going to be fine. And uh, yeah, so we got to the finish line, across the finish line together with her. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I got to that end of that day, and it was just a, just an amazing experience. I thought if I hadn't got up out of, out of my you know bed that day, or if I felt negative on that first day and felt sorry for myself that I cocked it up um, and not done that, then this person might not be here today. And you know, things happen for a reason. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I, ca I came away from that event thinking, do you know what? Do you know what that, that was an amazing experience. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't bitter at all that I didn't complete the, the, the jungle marathons race in its entirety that, that year. And uh, I, was just, I, was just, I was just happy that I'd been out there and, and done it and I, I had a smile on my face. I came back so positive from, from that event um, that I, I was just like, yeah, yeah, it went, it went wrong and uh, you know, I had this happen to me and he died and I saved someone's life and it was great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, I've sort of I've, I've latched onto that since 
that feeling and, and trying to stay positive. What I said earlier about being out there on the water when things going wrong, we're going to stay positive, we're going to enjoy it and just mm -hmm. embrace the experience, you know. And uh, it, it, it took me a long time to get to that point. Yeah. It took a, a lot of uh, highs and lows. I think um, something that you've mentioned to me, Darren, is that it's always the thing that blindsides you and the thing that you're not expecting that, that, that kind of crops up. The Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Love a bit of money, Love it. <laughs> um, And it sounds like you've experienced a fair share of that as well um, in terms of going out to your various events and it being the thing that sort of you were just saying earlier that you'd spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources getting to that point and then within 30k something blindsided you in terms of being attacked by these jungle hornets. 3k. 3k. 3 so, kilometers. Like, Jesus. And, <laughs> and like that's one of those things that you would just never like you just expect things to go wrong so you'd hate you like yeah. you've had your experiences in the jungle but I don't think there would have ever been a part of you that would have gone it could all be over within three kilometres no. from the start line. No. And I think just kind of like what what that kind of meant to you or kind of the lesson that you took from that in terms of it being the thing that blindsides you to kind of crop up and learning how to deal with that. Like sort of would you say that that's been a powerful thing into the other events that you've done? Like learning that lesson and having that experience to go through it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still Darren's saying here because I love it and I think it's amazing and I've applied it to myself. Uh, you know, uh, adversity doesn't build character, it reveals character, and oh, it, 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 it stuck with me over the years. And actually, yeah, it's it, you know, you need you need to suffer sometimes mm. to sort of find out who you who you are and what makes you tick. Mm. And uh, it's it's a pressure that goes on throughout your life. Definitely. So, if there's one last little bit of advice or something you want to kind of share with people about what we're about to go and do, what would it be? <laughs> um, I think. Whatever happens out there, uh, we we are a team. We are strong. We are going to go out there. Um, we're going to give it our best shot, and we're going to have a we're going to have a laugh. And everybody back home, especially our friends and family, are worrying about us. Uh, we're going to look after each other. And uh, yeah, please please don't worry. It's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. Awesome. I'm sitting here thinking, this has got to be part one or two. <laughs> because, yeah. like... We've skipped over a lot of stuff. Mate, we've... Barely, we're at two hours. We've like, I, know, I know, but like, we've barely scratched the surface of... of your story. Like, barely scratched the surface. He's done a fucking great job of dodging it, though. 
Yes. <laughs> just and, give it a little bit. And, and, and then let's, let's moving away. Let's, yeah. give it a bit, let's show away. some respect for the amount of effort he's put into not talking about himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's got to be part one of two because basically because I know a lot of the rest of it. <laughs> but like, this and has definitely been a conversation where like, I found out a lot, but I'm more intrigued. I've got more questions than answers, than answers out of this conversation. Like Welcome Zorro. to being friends with Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a bit, a bit like and 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> no like idea still. <laughs> but I'd like to think that a lot of the listeners are probably feeling the same way, having listened to us asking questions and obviously you know Aaron very well and I've known him for 20 years myself and Simon getting to know him more and more with each day that passes and I'd like to think that we're probably asking questions that people listening to this would be asking and then they're kind of generating more questions in their mind about well, what happened then and how did you feel at this point and so I definitely think it has to be a part one or two yeah it's, it's been very revealing in a mm. nice way uh, we, whilst you're away, we talked about that kind of beauty and adversity stuff. Very clearly, someone who works hard for other people, but just quietly in the background. So, someone like myself would make a song and dance about it. Look at me, helping other people. I know someone else a little bit like that. Don't be like that about Josh. <laughs> <laughs> He's new to the team. Don't pick on him. If anyone needs a PT, please call Josh on this number. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, we spent a long time talking about that first jungle story, but it's because it was Fucking chapter after chapter after chapter of you and helping you've had about people. half of it. <laughs> We're like, uh, literally, honestly, there's, there's, there's so much more. And, and like one of the things that's always frustrated me about a lot of the shit that we've done over the years is that, you know, we end up on fucking radio shows and various other bits and bobs and it's always someone sticking a microphone under my nose going tell me about Hadley and I'm like sitting there going like I'm his dad like this is expected of me that man there this like this is not expected of him this is like he's doing this not like this is not his son this is you know he's out there and he has done a ridiculous amount of shit and gone through stuff that, like, most of it's, like, we could do this podcast for 20 hours and they are not going to even touch, like, a lot of the depths of some of the stuff that we where, where we've been and places we've seen and things we've done and, like, like, things that you have done and your motivation and some of your story and, like, we're not going to get anywhere near any of it, you know? And, like, another two hours doesn't even begin to do any of it justice. And I'm sitting here now thinking, well, we, we spoke about 2009, we haven't spoken about 2011, we haven't spoken about winning the police medal for bravery that one person a year is given. We haven't spoken about, like, it's like a, there's like a list of stuff. And anyone that, like, even people that kind of half know you, as well as lots of people that don't know you, are gonna have like, not even the vaguest idea. Like nothing. Like they're not even gonna. Like they're not gonna get any of it. Like, this podcast has been a complete success. I'm quite happy with where we are. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, for someone who wasn't talking, you said quite a lot. <laughs> so, 
part two tomorrow night. If only on a podcast you could see the death stare that you just gave Gary. <laughs> I'm used to them. <laughs> yeah. Part two. Part two tomorrow. We're going to go over all sorts of other shit, basically. And whether you like it or not, we're going to give people an idea of who you are. And we're going to do that because you deserve that. Oh, nah. I, I, don't, I don't deserve anything. Um, I'll, I'll, I will try my best to give the listeners a bit more info about myself and get to know who I am as I go across the ocean. Um, I've got a few more stories I, I suppose I can tell everybody. Um, I, I'm, I'm just grateful to be here with you guys. And Simon. And, and Simon. <laughs> um, yeah, I, was... I think we're, um, I think we can all agree that we're grateful to have you with us. Like, is this going to get to the X-rated version of the book? Do we need to have a little cuddle? Listen, someone's going to have to get the bear out later. <laughs> Let's just say part one is done. Part two's on its way. To be continued. And knowing what I know, part one doesn't have half of it. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Yep. Good night. Honestly, I don't know where to begin after listening to that. Firstly, we're so sorry to split this conversation into two parts, but I'm sure that you can appreciate after listening to that episode that there is just too much to cover and it wouldn't do justice to anyone to try and cram it in all into one episode. We'll be talking to Aaron Wilby again very soon, so please do come back and listen to part two of Aaron's story. Now, if you're enjoying this podcast series and would like to help the team out, then please share this episode around with your friends and family. You can post a screenshot of this episode to your social media page and tag us in it and we'll be sure to give you a special shout out and thank you. Now, while we're here, we have to remind you that this challenge is taking place as a charity fundraiser. And if you'd like to read and find out more about the charities we hope to support, then you can visit the team website at www.endurancelimits.net. That's everything from me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to welcoming you on part two. Peace.